Hello, everyone, and welcome to this crossover episode of Equity and Chain Reaction. I'm Anita Ramaswamy, and this is the third time that we've done this, so not super frequent, but hopefully more frequent in the future. So we'll get right into introductions. I am a senior crypto and fintech reporter at TechCrunch, and I have on the call a couple of my favorite colleagues, my work besties. Woo. So if uh, Jackie, you want to introduce yourself, that would be awesome. Aw, and I was put first, <laughs> Anita. That is so sweet. I'm sure it was on purpose, right? <laughs> we will discuss the internal politics another time. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No specific order. Hey, I am Jackie Melanick. My byline says Jacqueline, so maybe you know me by that, but... I'm a senior crypto reporter at TechCrunch, and I focus on the TechCrunch premium side, the plus side, with my coworkers who then can speak for themselves if <laughs> they want to go next. <laughs> Alex, I feel like there's a plus transition for you to jump right in on. I'm more than happy to. My name is Alex. I'm one of the hosts of Equity, along with Natasha, who's up next. I'm a fan of Chain Reaction and all the work that Anita and Jackie do. And I also am on the TechCrunch Plus team. Yay. And I'm Natasha. I am one of the other co-hosts of Equity. And I'm really glad this episode is happening. Honestly, some background is this episode really just came to be because Equity was like, we should talk about the merge. And then Chain Reaction definitely was going to talk about the merge. And so why yeah. not combine forces <laughs> and do it all in a fun tone with our quote work besties, end quote. We merge. We merge. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Two, uh, two big merges <laughs> happening today. Yeah, Natasha pretty much covered it in terms of how this all came together, like at, at least on, on my end and, and Jackie's end, like being crypto reporters. This is obviously a huge event in crypto history, but at the same time, there was so much that I didn't personally understand about it. So I feel like I've been on this journey of just sort of going through all the technical details and figuring out like what exactly is happening here. So there are two sort of big questions that we wanted to frame this discussion around today, which are questions that we all had in mind and have learned a bunch about over the past couple of weeks. And the first one is like, okay, what even is the merge and how does it work? And the second question is, why does it matter? And what does it mean specifically for startups? First, like it, it's kind of wild because this has been such an anticipated event in the crypto community and it's been in the works for a couple of years. And I think like the price of Ethereum is is a really interesting like point that everyone's looking at. It's down 9% today. Oof. Right. So like, what do you guys think about that? Like people were <laughs> excited about this and now the price has crashed 9%. Like what's going on? Some people have said that the price was priced in. Um, I am not, I don't know, like market analyst, so I can't determine that myself, but I think the price going down isn't really the best look for the merge. Of course, everyone wants like a bullish outlook for this. And this is something that developers have worked on for a very long time. And for the price of Ethereum just to drop right after can be a little, I guess, discouraging. Totally. But I guess I want to rewind a tad and talk about before uh, Ethereum price fell. What was the merge? Why has this been happening for so many years? And, and why does it sound like the lunar eclipse is my question. It is such a weird name. Yeah, Natasha, you had a hilarious tweet about people talking about the merge like an astrological event, like oh when Mercury's in retrograde, people are waiting for it. Yeah, so high level quickly on what the merge is, um, and we can get more into the details, but it's a transition in the transaction validation system that Ethereum uses. Ethereum is like the second most popular cryptocurrency by volume, and it's a huge deal. And so basically the Ethereum Foundation, which is the community that developed the protocol, it's it's not a centralized entity, according to the Ethereum Foundation itself, but we can, you know, that's maybe debated, maybe contested. However, the Ethereum Foundation has had this in the works for a long time because one of the founders of Ethereum, Vitalik, who we all <laughs> uh, know and probably love, 
has been planning for this. And the big reason why they would want to switch the transaction validation mechanism from proof of work, which is what they were using before, and that's what Bitcoin uses to also verify its transactions, to the proof of stake system, which is now what Ethereum uses officially as of today, the biggest reason is the environment. Like one of the biggest criticisms that's been leveled against crypto is just how environmentally unfriendly it is and the carbon footprint that it has. So by sort of addressing this and changing the way that it validates transactions, Ethereum's actually the estimated impact is that it would reduce the energy consumption of the network by 99%. Which is huge. And that's huge. Yeah, that's enormous. I mean, looking around the world from China to Texas, we're seeing issues with power generation and power delivery. And so to cut the footprint and the kind of the inputs required for Ethereum to function is pretty cool. I mean, just from a tech perspective and also from a planetary perspective. So I'm, I'm excited by this. Should we explain more what proof of stake is and, and how it works? Because this is a thing that I had to actually prep on myself and, and get more deep into. Yeah, yeah. So we, we can get a little into that. It makes a lot of sense why this energy consumption is reduced so much when you actually understand like what the mechanisms are. So proof of work, it's like what everyone thinks about when they think about crypto because Bitcoin uses it. Ethereum has used it until now. And it's basically, it's crypto miners, right? They are verifying transactions by using a ton of computing power. They get this like super expensive, fancy equipment. I don't know. I've heard a bunch of stories of like people setting this mining equipment up in their their like dorms in college. That was a big thing. I remember like there was an engineering college kind of near where I went to school. And like there were some guys who had a bunch of crypto mining equipment in their dorm and it got oh. so hot. It was like 100 <laughs> degrees in there and the school had to shut them down. Yeah, it's literally <laughs> insane. Anita, my neighbor is telling me he used to mine Ethereum a few years back. And in the summers, like there was no amount of AC that could cool his apartment. And in the winters, it heated his apartment like two insane amounts to the point where he stopped mining Ethereum. That's how hot these machines get, guys. Yeah, that cannot be good for, for the Earth, right? Like if, if things are getting <laughs> that hot to mine your crypto. So that's the proof of work system. And it relies on a ton of computing power. To oversimplify this a little bit, why has this not happened sooner if it requires so much energy? <laughs> yeah, well, it's been talked about for a long time, but it's logistically really hard to pull off. Like this is the way that Ethereum was founded. It's been around for a while. And there are just so many details that needed to come together. So developers have been working on this for a really long time. They've done a bunch of test runs. They've, you know, been planning and prepping. But if one little thing goes wrong, then that could totally screw over the system. And the analogy that like a bunch of people like to make that I've heard is um, it's like changing the engine on an airplane while it's mid-flight. And that's totally what just happened. And now that the merge is over, like it seems like so far it's been successful, though, I guess not fair to say that the merge is over because it's going to happen in phases. But the main part, the actual transition to the proof of stake validation system has officially occurred. Should we talk about what proof of stake is too and like how it's different? Yes, I, I think that's the coolest part of this because getting off of proof of work is neat, but what replaces it is pretty damn important in that context. Yeah, so like at a high level, a proof of stake is basically instead of having these miners who are using computing power to verify transactions, you have what I guess the crypto community calls bakers and you basically put up your coins by staking them. So you like give them to the network, temporarily deposit them. And by doing that, you're allowed to enter a lottery if you want to be participating in the network as a validator. Okay. So like it's like instead of being a Bitcoin miner, now you can be an Ethereum like proof of stake validator, a baker, if you will. And in exchange for doing that, like the reason why you'd want to bake is because you get rewards. <laughs> what kind of rewards? <laughs> well, not baked goods. I'm so confused by this because I, I've been reading a lot of Jacqueline's coverage of, of the merging and Ethereum lately, and we tend to use the word stake. And now we're using the word bake. And I don't know if this is a really dumb question, but 
are they the same thing? I think they're interchangeable. I've been calling them stakers. Oh, I stakers personally, I've got to be honest. I haven't heard bakers before, but I'm going to believe you, Anita. Stakers and <laughs> bakers are minor. I think they're interchangeable. <laughs> Maybe we're watching different crowds, but <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. No, but I mean, stakers, bakers, whatever we want to call them, right? Don't quote me on that. We'll call them stakers, but. Um... <laughs> But yeah, no. So so they get rewards, and that's why uh, that's why they want to do it. No baked goods, though. How many tokens do I have to own to have enough to be a staker of Ethereum and enter this lottery to possibly get more tokens? It's a lot, Jackie. Do you know this number off the top of your head? I don't know what it is, but it's more than I have. If you are rich enough, it's thirty-two ETH by yourself. You can join a liquidity staking pool, which you can contribute to. So if you don't have thirty-two ETH, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's about fifty thousand dollars to have your own validator roughly at the current stance and for reference not going back to proof of work a ton but you could buy a miner for like 700 dollars at the time uh so it's a big difference in the cost it takes to stake and or earn eth in this matter so i want to pull us out of the weeds for just a second here and kind of circle back to the, the question at hand right which is like why is ethereum doing this and it's because like it, it is a lot greener it's a lot friendlier for the environment i think you know, because crypto has been criticized for its carbon footprint, this also makes crypto look really good as an industry to regulators and to the public and to the outside world. Like it, it's kind of a reputational move in some ways, right? Does the timing feel at all in response to questions and crypto heading into this winter, but summer, according to some people? Or is that timing just kind of random? It's been in the works for a while. Yeah, it's just accidental that it ended up now and not back in like last December when things were amazing or November. But I think also the proof of stake is also a chance for Ethereum to really scale the network to be more forward looking technology compared to one that was like rooted in high energy consumption. And they're really going to try and shift the focus towards building out the network, scaling it, getting developers to create cool new decentralized apps and everything. And we'll go into that a bit more later, but it's more of a shift to the future opposed to like an old school way of like operating, I guess. Yeah. But the Ethereum merge and the move away from proof of work to proof of stake doesn't by itself make Ethereum more capable of transactions per second. It doesn't lower gas costs no. on the network implicitly. OK, so that's all to come. But it kind of sets the stage for that, if you will. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope later on with like roll ups, which is a term I don't think the equity crowd would understand and i'm not gonna get deep into it i don't know it. that i understand um, but... roll-ups that well to be honest with you <laughs> you you can't just diss our audience like i'm that. sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> can it's we like, be proud that we okay, don't know what roll-ups are? are like things that scale the ethereum network okay it's like the way i mean i honestly learned a lot about roll-ups today so i'm no <laughs> professional in my own sense every day i'm learning new things about crypto guys like <laughs> we're all in this together bakers. i think bakers yeah. is a thing I, I can't let that go no, i'm like stressed i swear i saw it in like two articles last week but uh no i believe you in it's the new unicorn i alex i liked in your piece earlier this week about like we can't expect the world from like a single upgrade and yeah I kind of wanted to get yeah. into that a little bit more because I was like, there's a, there's a lot of conversations about the merge that are talking about like what this is going to do at large. But do we have a good understanding of what it did today, what it's going to do tomorrow and like a year from now? How should we be thinking timing wise of like the impact? People had really high expectations going into the merge. I know we started talking about the price sort of earlier. And the reason I brought up that 9% dip today is because there the Ethereum price actually had been rising for a couple of weeks in anticipation of the merge. And so even though we had this crypto winter and we were, you know, seeing like the Bitcoin price go down and continue to suffer and 
get hurt. Like Ethereum seemed like it was more of a bright spot in the crypto market because people were super excited about this and they were excited about, you know, some of the scalability opportunities. But then there's also one really big misconception that had been floating around, which is that the merge would reduce gas fees and it doesn't and it won't. And that's not something that is it. It just fundamentally, that's not what drives gas fees, right? It's not the validation of transactions. It's actually just supply and demand. So I think people have really high hopes that maybe if like the network capacity increases because of scalability solutions that are going to be enabled because of the merge, then like long term, perhaps gas fees could go down. But I think there was like a lot of maybe like false hope that it would happen immediately and it could take a long time to play out. Okay. And all these future upgrades rhyme. It's like merge, splurge. (laughs) Nerge, Kurge, I don't know. Splurge is last, Alex. Oh, That's the last oh, I'm, one. I'm, you gotta go in order. Okay, so I, I was trying to make <laughs> rude sounding yeah. urge words, but apparently I got one right. <laughs> you, you were so, right. So what comes next? <laughs> yeah, so it goes merge, surge, verge, purge, and splurge. You're not See? kidding. These are not jokes. No, no they're I'm not, not kidding. kidding. And neither was Vitalik when he announced this back in July at a conference. With a straight face. (laughs) Walk us through this, please. Okay, so they all have very different, like, upgrades to them. The next upgrade to follow the merge is the Surge, which aims to improve Ethereum's, like, throughput ability through a term they call sharding, which I think is a horrible word. Every time I have to say that on the podcast, I I die a little bit inside. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but that could potentially make Ethereum's transactions per second, something Alex brought up earlier, 100 times faster is what Vitalik Buterin said. So uh, that will create for higher network throughput, make it faster, better, stronger. I don't know, like the Kanye West song. (laughs) The Daft Punk song, you mean? (laughs) <laughs> that helps and honestly i'm not surprised by the wording choices it's so crypto yeah the merge is just the beginning of all of this honestly like everyone i've spoken to says like this is the first start of the track and they're going to continue to try and improve the protocol in any way that makes sense to scale the ethereum network i want to put this in a little bit of context right this has been a really you know positive development for the Ethereum network. At least that's how it's been perceived by the public. I know today the price dropped a little bit, but that's because people were saying that it was already priced in and people had already sort of bought up the currency just to like, because they knew that this was going to happen. But overall, it's been perceived really positively. And I think it's really worth noting that there's sort of this like, like a race between Bitcoin and Ethereum. And they've always been really competitive as the two most popular cryptocurrencies. And Bitcoin has basically made no indication that they have any plans to change to proof of stake validation system. So this really like kind of puts them on an island all by themselves where, you know, I I think Alex got something to say here on Bitcoin. So I'll let him chime in. The maxis. Yeah. So there's a religious element to the move to proof of stake from proof of work, which is that a lot of people who are Bitcoin fans, we might even call them Bitcoin maxis, are dead set against this. They think this transition by Ethereum will lead to a more centralized setup which is, of course, anathema to the real crypto heads. And so to me, I think Ethereum is not only doing a hard technical bit of work here that went better than I expected, frankly. Shout out to them for not having it all crash. But also they're making kind of an, an, an ethical or almost like moral choice as well. And so there's, there's a lot to this. It's not a small thing in the crypto world. And we were talking before the show about how much proof of work is still out there. And we came up with like Bitcoin and then Litecoin. It's not a huge list. And so Bitcoin now kind of is by itself making this choice. And frankly, I think it's going to be a really hard one to uh, to cling on to for, for forever, which is what yeah. the Bitcoin people expect it to be. 
Like, no offense, but I don't think the Gen Zs are talking about Litecoin these days, to be honest. I don't know. Maybe some Litecoin maxis are going to come after me after this. For that, so it, but... tur- it turns out Litecoin, according to CoinMarketCap, is still worth $4 billion. It's the 22nd most valuable blockchain out there. So you can't kill some of these things. But the point is, proof of work definitely dying. <laughs> There's also like no one really at the top of the totem pole for Bitcoin. That's kind of the, the whole thing behind it is there's no founder. There's no one there to say, hey, let's go switch it. So it really is what it is unless there is like aggressive like overtaking. I don't know, like <laughs> a little revolution perhaps, but I don't see that happening. I think this would be a great time to talk about some of the potential cons and the downsides <laughs> and the criticisms yes. that have been leveled against the merge <laughs> that, you know, really... Um, goes into it pretty smoothly because, you know, crypto people love decentralization. It's their favorite thing to talk about. And one of the biggest criticisms of the merge, like it sounds like a really great thing, right? We're going to decrease energy consumption. You know, we're going to be greener and also increase scalability. It sounds great. But one of the biggest criticisms has been that potentially this will make their transaction validation system and their whole network less decentralized. Is that true? Yeah, I actually I saw a study earlier this week by Nansen, and it basically found that four major crypto entities hold over half of all of the staked Ethereum today. Uh, Lido, a liquid staking service for crypto networks, holds about 31 percent of staked ETH, while crypto exchanges Coinbase, Kraken and Binance together hold the other 30 percent. So that's 61 percent held by four entities. And that is worth saying that within some of these, like there are smaller parties contributing to it, but of the grand scheme of it, only some of them are able to vote and control, especially in the case of Lido, through a thing called governance tokens, which is where you could like almost like a stakeholder vote on proposed changes to the service. So the top nine addresses for Lido hold about 46% of its governance power, and a few addresses typically dominate the proposal. So in the grand scheme of this, there's really only a small group of stakers, bakers, bakers <laughs> whatever we want to call them, who stake ETH right now. And that's because it's so expensive to do it. It's, if you need 32 yeah, ETH. What we talked about earlier, yeah, 32 ETH worth around 50000 today. Like, that's a lot of money. So I think about only 11% of the total amount of ETH out there is currently staked. Despite there being over 400,000 validators who can stake mm-hmm. the ETH. I hate using the phrase, we are still early, but I think in this situation, uh, we are still early. (laughs) And so like more validators could come online and these four major entities might diffuse over time. I mean, it is actually early for the merge because it has been like 12 hours. That's what early means. (laughs) All right, fine. Bitcoin is not early. It's been like 48 years. (laughs) 48 years. (laughs) Since Satoshi came down with his uh, stone tablets from the heavens. Yes, it's it's, it's an exodus. On the the cost point, though, talking about how expensive it is to do the um, Ethereum staking, to have the 32 ETH and so forth. One, you could probably change that so it'd be easier. But also, like, if you went out today and you wanted to build a competitive Bitcoin mining operation, you cannot do that for a small dollar amount. If you want to have any shot at really actually generating enough Bitcoin from doing uh, the math to to make it economically viable, which is why we see Bitcoin mining become more of an industrial project, moving to places where power is cheap, etc. And so to me, like, sure, you know, you can make the kind of complaint that ETH is not quite as decentralized right now as you want it to be. But I still think this moves in the direction of making that more possible versus having to build your own warehouse sized rig, essentially, to have a shot at Bitcoin. 
One thing I thought was really interesting on that point, Alex, is I read Rita's story on TechCrunch earlier about miners and what they're doing. And because a lot of miners have already invested in this super expensive like mining hardware, they don't want to just all of a sudden become stakers. Like it's not that easy to make the switch of how you're making your income. So a lot of them are actually fleeing to Ethereum Classic, which is a separate cryptocurrency from Ethereum, huh. which was created when there was a hard fork between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, like the two split off in 2016. And basically, like most of the users kind of continued transacting on Ethereum itself. But Ethereum Classic is like this abandoned, like old version of the Ethereum network. And so now a lot of people with this expensive mining equipment who had been mining Ethereum until now are sort of losing their livelihood, so to speak. I mean, not livelihood, but like losing an income stream. And so instead of doing staking, like they're like, let me just take my mining equipment and try to revive the Ethereum Classic network. It's it's very strange. Ethereum Classic is currently worth $5 billion. So it is the 17th most valuable cryptocurrency out there. Bigger than Litecoin. Besting Litecoin <laughs> by 1 billion and five ranks. That's crazy. I mean, I didn't even think about like the, yeah, different geographies reacting to this in a different way. Obviously, we're seeing like probably a diversity in opinions and bullishness today. Jackie, you wrote a story about kind of day of reactions. What surprised you? I think today a lot of people are pretty hopeful and they're really forward thinking. For them, this was like the biggest hurdle and the fact that it was executed well and it happened shows that like Ethereum now has a chance to be productive and go forward. And like this isn't like what I mentioned earlier, this isn't the end. This is the beginning of a long technical roadmap. And honestly, everyone has said to me like, we're not done. I don't think we'll ever be done here. And it's like something that you're constantly going to fix up over and over until like it's extremely scalable to the point where I don't know, I guess there's no more work to be done. But in general, it feels like since Ethereum is more energy efficient now, it has the potential to work on its major flaws of like really high gas fees, bad scalability, the horrible transactions per second. And it gives that ability to the developers to really focus on these things now, because for a long time, they've been focusing on transitioning to the merge. Yeah, that's like a level of change that it sounds like we haven't seen happen too much within this world, right? No, like, would, not, would you say this yeah. is one of the biggest events to happen in crypto? That's what the people are saying. That's definitely the word on the street. <laughs> You're convincing me. Yeah. And by the people, we mean TechCrunch.com has been saying that for, for some weeks now. I've been yes, hyped about yes. this. And I, I'm not even a day-to-day crypto reporter, but like I... This is a big darn deal. And frankly, I just, I don't think we've given enough credit yet that it didn't fail. Yeah. Like I woke up this morning and it had happened and it was fine and nothing was on fire. <laughs> I honestly, I set an alarm for 3 a.m. like Eastern time because it, I think it was like 2.58 when it was going to happen. It honestly felt like when you wake up on Christmas and you like go downstairs and you're trying to see if there's presents or not. Oh my God. And there's presents and like somehow. this time there was a present. Jackie, yeah. I'm so glad you found your calling in life. <laughs> but Clearly. I saw it was successful and I was like, I felt warm inside and I like scrolled on Twitter for a couple minutes, tweeted and then fell back asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it was, it was honestly like, yeah, it's a major fee. And people have been talking about this for weeks. Honestly, I remember when they were talking about it last year, and I felt like, oh, it's so far away. Like, who knows if it'll even happen or succeed? And like, we are at this point now where it did happen. So it is honestly kind of amazing. Yeah. And one, one piece of context there is just like, it's it's been pushed back a lot too. Like, I think it was supposed to happen earlier in the summer. It was supposed mm, to happen mm -hmm. in June and then maybe July. And then they, it just kind of kept getting delayed. So like the, the likelihood of this happening, like there was a lot of skepticism, uh, but people are really excited. And, you know, another actually interesting story from from Rita earlier this week, who's been covering like the impacts in Asia pretty in depth, was that like Chinese miners who 
originally had been sort of cut out of the ecosystem. Like a lot has gone on since we've started talking about the merge. And one of the main things was that the Chinese government banned crypto mining and banned crypto trading. And so now a lot of those you know, people in China who want to participate in the crypto ecosystem now can because they have a way to do so through staking, which is a lot harder for the government to trace. So it's like there's a lot of levels of excitement and there's been a lot of hype building up. I'll be very curious to see if the ruling party in China does allow for this to happen. They do tend to crack down. And when they when they do so, they mean it. And I think we were all I mean, for a long time, there was this kind of like discussion of is the Chinese government just FUD? You know, are they claiming to ban Bitcoin yet again? This went on for years and years and <laughs> years. And then they really did. And all the Bitcoin money moved out of China because it was really cracked down on for, I think, power consumption reasons and also, you know, control. But do we have any evidence yet of ETH staking from China? Because that would be really cool if so. Yeah, I, I'm not actually sure about the status in terms of like what the government has said or not said. I just know that there's a lot of interest from the people to continue participating in the ecosystem. Yeah. But I do want to go back really quickly to like what we were talking about with the centralization debate, because I think mm. that's super interesting. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just something that I'm thinking about as we think about like the ideology behind crypto and the sort of Bitcoin versus Ethereum. I don't know, like like kind of fight that's going on, right? Like, I, I think it's a valid criticism in a way because a lot of people have talked about the Ethereum Foundation being like this entity that sort of controls the Ethereum network. And they've talked about Vitalik almost being like a CEO-like figure, right. whereas Bitcoin has almost the benefit of not having like a living person who is the face or a representative or a founder of the network. And so even though Bitcoin is sort of stubbornly saying like, hey, we're not going to transition to proof of stake, in a way, like they are still serving that original contingent of crypto OGs. Who, are, who got into this game in the first place because they don't trust the government and they don't trust institutions. And that's who they're serving. Okay, but Bitcoin mining has a centralization problem as well. I mean, I just pulled up a fortune story that I recalled from October of 2021, which noted at the time that 0.1% of Bitcoin miners controlled about half of all mining capacity, right? Because wow, yeah, that's totally fair. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm not a Bitcoin maxi. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, to me, it just seems like a very lazy critique of like, okay, Ethereum's trying to do new stuff. They're trying to expand and improve their technology. And maybe right now it is a bit more centralized than people would like it to be in the future. But to me, that's not a death sentence. And so, and so the Bitcoin maxis, I think, are being uh, overly near term in their thinking. And that's a polite way of saying what I think. Yeah. So, so you think Ethereum's going to win out in the long run? They're building a, a, a platform that is designed to be used for more than one thing. And I think that's impressive and pretty cool. And I think that while I'm not a fan of PFP NFT projects, and I'm not super stoked about those being baked into my gaming experience, it doesn't mean that cool things won't come in time. Like, I, I, I want to keep an open mind about the potential for Web3 because, you know, I didn't think I was going to be really into iPhones back when I had a, a pocket PC. Eh, wrong about that. Cool. But the Bitcoin kids really just, to me, are not doing anything along the same lot or scale when it comes to building a developer-friendly platform to do more than just what Bitcoin has traditionally done. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Alex. And honestly, one of the stories I wrote this week before the merge happened, I interviewed a bunch of people in the space and asked them, like, what does the merge mean for startups? Which ones are going to succeed after the merge? And honestly, all the responses, not all the responses, but a lot of them were saying that the biggest thing that's going to be important after the merge are startups that provide accessibility to both Web 2 and Web 3 mm. users, whether it be something like a financial product or infrastructure, anything that can ease the onboarding of users to the network is definitely like a hot topic for startups on the Ethereum network. Because like 
it's to the point where we need real use cases for these things to survive. I did an interview. Real utility, Jackie? <laughs> utility. I, I did an interview with Vitalik, I think it was last month. Subtle flex, subtle flex. Yeah, little cool. flex. Cool. I know, guys, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, he was saying, like, we're at this point where it's no longer about, like, hey, look at this product I could potentially make. It's like, no, you have to make this product and it has to actually work out in the real world. You can't just say like, oh, if I had the infrastructure, we'd be able to launch this. Like it's getting to the point where we're going to have the infrastructure and you need to launch the product that you claim you're making. Does that make sense? It does. When I hear (laughs) that, I think obviously the Web3 companies that will immediately jump on it. Are there Web2 companies that are in any way benefiting from this? Like how can you like, I don't know, illustrate or place that somewhere for me? Yeah. I mean, I know Reddit is getting involved in this and like we see NFTs getting into things like fashion, like with Adidas and Tiffany's and all these other things. So it's not like a massive adoption. It's more like tiny little like corners they're pulling at. Because honestly, at the end of the day, I personally think the best way for crypto and blockchain technology to be adopted is for the users not to even know they're using it. Like when you and I go on Uber to call an Uber, I have no idea how they found my Uber. I just press the button (laughs) and I get my Uber, you know? And I think in this situation, like nobody wants to know that you have to get this one wallet to bridge to another and like transfer your coins. Like at the end of the day, people just want to transfer their funds or do whatever they want to do and use the technology without being a developer. You know what? I think the crypto world needs more dumb people because they would be like, this is too complex. (laughs) I'm not going to bridge my ETH to Uniswap so I can get Ronin so I can breed Axies. That's too much. I think that we should really just expect this to be usable by our parents. And at that point, it will reach the mainstream. But the user interface right now is just like atrocious. And as someone who plays with this stuff all the time, I still am very cautious about how I use it and what I do. And I'm someone who understands this. I can't imagine giving this to someone who knows nothing about it. I really, it's, it's just a mess. So that's my rant. That, no, that, that was honestly the reason I asked the Web2 question because I wasn't sure if this would, you know, break open a ton of things for Web2 companies or if it will still be the one-off Starbucks NFT efforts we see. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't they drop the NFT project at Starbucks and instead recognize the unions? Ooh. Facts, facts, facts. But um, no, I mean, this kind of goes back to what we were even talking about with decentralization. Like, do people who aren't crypto OGs actually give a shit? Like, do they care? Probably not, right? Like, they want to use the, the, these crypto products. And like, yeah, I mean, there are some downsides or trade-offs, I, I suppose, to having a centralized entity run a network. But at the end of the day, most people are just trying to use these products for like, things that are fun or things that are useful to them on a day-to-day basis. And I think where the merge is actually a huge benefit is if it really does deliver at the end of the day on creating more scalability in the Ethereum network, that's going to be huge. I mean, we've seen some like pretty big fiascos just because the network doesn't have capacity for all the demand that's been building up on it, right? Like I'm thinking back to when Yuga Labs dropped their other side uh, video game, right? There was so much demand for that land sale. Everyone wanted in. It literally clogged up the network and it stopped working for a second. Like they they did not release a video game. They released the the metaverse land sale, right? What they did was (laughs) they sold land in a game that doesn't exist and dweebs bought it because they didn't get a bored ape. Sounds like someone didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Alex did not, did not win out. Sorry, I, I am, I, look, I am a gamer. I'm a big fan of, of spending money on digital goods. I have spent money on League of Legends skins. I buy DLCs for Paradox Grand Strategy games. Hell yeah, I'm here <laughs> for it. 
buying expensive digital land for a future promised game is like falling into the pre-buying trap that gamers have been falling into for way too long. And, but to the nth degree, it was embarrassing. People who bought that should be ashamed of themselves. Is pre-buying like a trend <laughs> in gaming? People pre-buy games and then the game doesn't live up to the hype and then they're mad at the developers. And it's a huge cycle of disappointment in, in the gaming world. And to me, pre-selling land for your game is just aggressive. I know what happens in, in real life. Like people have been pre-selling apartments and things like that. You can buy like a pre-construction unit. Like that's a thing in real estate. <laughs> well, it's a big thing in the Chinese real estate market when they pre-sell apartments and you begin to pay your mortgage before the actual unit is delivered and it's currently strangling the entire economy. So I don't think the real world analogies actually help here. <laughs> yeah, so maybe, maybe we don't need to bring that aspect of the real world into the virtual one. Fingers crossed. I want to ask the question again, but in a different way. For the Web3 companies out there, the ones that we're tracking inside the crypto world, um, who does get unlocked today by the merge? Does anything change for companies or is it more business as usual for the startups that we track? Another thing that I heard when I was talking to people was that the Ethereum-based startups that will succeed, a lot of them are focused on liquid staking pool providers, which is the process of staking the liquidity you add into a general pool and earn rewards on it within you know, proof of stake. Uh, and with the merge switch to that, that makes total sense. And another big aspect I'm hearing across the board for Web3 companies is just a massive need for infrastructure. Going back to what Anita said, like, the ability to not fail when you launch something is a big thing. You know, these networks need to build out applications that can keep them alive and scale them to the next level. Yeah, the last uh, group of startups that I'm thinking in terms of who actually benefits from this is actually something that Jackie, you wrote in your article, which was about like sort of ESG compliance being more of a trend in crypto now. It seems like this whole industry has just sort of developed without really giving any real thought or consideration to anything even resembling ESG. And all of a sudden, like, it's almost as though it becomes more developed. Like, this is just becoming a, a, a material area of concern. Like, we have a ton of people who have just entered the asset class in the past year. And like, yeah, like, they're going to care about the environment. Yeah, I think that also goes across to institutions as well. Like, it's worth noting that, you know, Ethereum's carbon footprint declined 99.9%, as we mentioned earlier. And that's a really appealing factor for investors yeah. looking to meet ESG mandates. And in the past, Ethereum definitely did not do them any favors on that front. So it's definitely giving those startups who are quote unquote purpose driven an ability to commit to these ESG efforts and like, I don't know, almost I in like a way, like, quote, unquote. <laughs> I don't know, because I uh, I feel like it gives them, like, the opportunity to have a compelling story yeah. and, like, justify why they're using it, in a sense. Exactly. Like, that's what I heard when you were saying, and I was like, I feel like the Sunday <laughs> is already there, but now they get a cherry on top, and they're like, oh, look, I have cherries to give. Yeah, exactly. I saw an interesting stat just, like, earlier today as I was scrolling that um, Vitalik said, apparently, that today's merge has reduced over, like, global energy consumption by 0.2%, which is insane that it it's even moved the wild, needle at all. Honestly. That's, like, so, it's, like, you're kind of, like, reverse admitting how bad, yes. how bad we were. <laughs> it's, like, well, We were really bad, but now look at us. It's, like, that thing they tell you at work, right? You're supposed to, like, under-promise and over-deliver. <laughs> I wonder if we turned off Bitcoin, how much global power consumption would come down. I mean, I don't know you can't turn it off because it's a distributed thing, but like, I'm, I'm curious to see if it, if it would be a multiple of that. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> well, maybe we will. Ooh. I mean, time is long. Bitcoin's been around for a very long time and um, still chugging along. It could, mm -hmm. it could reform and evolve. I yeah. mean, why not? I've covered a little bit of like the change going on in the Bitcoin network. And it's actually funny to even 
describe it as a network because really at the end of the day it is just a currency and this is a big like also point of debate within bitcoin itself like do they want to just stay a currency or do they actually want to enable developers to build apps just like they can on top of ethereum and i think that the latter group is in the minority and i think a lot of people who use bitcoin and like bitcoin like the fact that it's like a simplistic thing it's easy to understand it has some you know they say intrinsic value i don't know if that's true or not but, you know, I just think that Bitcoin has like the, the base of people who are really like fervent Bitcoin users are doing it for different reasons than they are for Ethereum, right? Like you see a lot more developer interest on Ethereum. You see like people wanting to build things on top of Ethereum because that's the entire like point of Ethereum. Ooh. But with Bitcoin, like that's not <laughs> that's not really like what it's supposed to that's not what it's supposed to be all about. And so they don't really have a reason to necessarily care as much about things like their carbon footprint. So this is my question then about Bitcoin, because I understand I think what the Ethereum crew want to do, which is pretty cool. They want to enable L2s and have lots of cool technology and stuff that may or may not work, but I, I like the ambition of it and the scale of it. The Bitcoin folks that I have in my life are big on like dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin and buying chunks of it on a monthly basis and then, and then sitting on it. And, and that's what they do. They're like, they're like miniature little dragons with digital gold. <laughs> and <laughs> they just hoard it like smog. And to me, that's just not very exciting because it's just, there's not much there there uh and i respect the work that's gone into it and the you know the the mining efforts and so forth but like it just doesn't get me excited and so like when eth does this and really sets a a, a direction towards the future it, it gets me way more excited and so I, I would not be shocked i'll just make a prediction here within three years if ethereum isn't worth more as a network than bitcoin yeah i think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation you know we'll see if that prediction comes true or not but i would tend to agree with that but this has been awesome i also learned a lot just talking with you guys about the merge so thank you yay appreciate y'all we should do this more hell yeah i'm down see you guys bye